all status, I'ma beat y'all back I pull up on the block in a big Corvette yeah. Riding around the city with a stick all black Overdrive, an extension of the Raj Project Live. There's every Monday and Friday at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, and audio and video on Facebook Live, Periscope, Twitch, LinkedIn Live, and YouTube. A conversation about life, entrepreneurship, personal development, family tech, and marketing. Of course, I'm your host, Ivan Temelkoff, and today I am joined by my special guest, uh, Nelly Yusupova. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yes, that was perfect. Awesome. How are you, Nelly? I'm doing well. Um, having an amazing time uh, in the new year. I'm looking forward to 2021. <laughs> right, right, right. I think, you know, being in the first uh, week of a new year, there's lots of excitement, right? I think the real test is what happens be beyond the first beyond week that, in the yes. first month, right? Because <laughs> I think so many people, you know, get jazzed up about a new year. And uh, before we start chatting some more, I, I want to give a quick intro uh, of Nelly. So Nelly is a CTO with over 18 years experience leading companies to technical excellence. She's also a startup tech advisor, outsourced CTO, and a creator of Tech Speak for Entrepreneurs. She's on a mission to help entrepreneurs minimize technology mistakes. And through her online masterclass, Tech Speak for Entrepreneurs, she provides a roadmap to successfully manage technology teams and projects. So uh, let's go back 18 years. So like, did you just wake up and say, you know what, technology and CTO sounds like a cool profession. How did this all start? So I uh, have a very funny story because I didn't grow up technical. In fact, um, I came here in 1991, immigrated from the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union from Tajikistan. And I didn't speak a word of English. Um, I was a teenager, went into high school and uh, grew up, like I said, generationally, we didn't have any technology and um, we were lucky back then if we had a right. TV. Right. And so when I came here in my initial, uh, I guess, attraction to technology was the fact that I just from a kind of an immigration type uh, background, you had to make money as soon as you uh, finish school. So my motivation initially was to uh, make money or to pick a field where I would be guaranteed to have an income afterwards. So I went into and looked at this is in the early 90s, uh, looked at what is going on, what's happening in the industry and technology was definitely the way to go. It was pointing in the direction that if I went mm -hmm. into tech, I would be securely set for life. <laughs> right. So um, that was my initial motivation. And in fact, I didn't know anything about tech. I didn't never turn on a computer. And then when I decided to major in computer science, Funnily or embarrassingly enough, I actually thought it was going to teach me how to use Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel really, really well. <laughs> <laughs> I had absolutely no concept that you could write the, uh, commands to the pro to on the computer and tell right. the computers what to do and what programming was. So that's where I come from, and I actually, with all of the work that I do now, working with a lot of non-technical entrepreneurs, I yeah. think that set me up for success because I have so much empathy for learning tech 
as an adult, I mean, I come from completely like not knowing anything right. about technology and being where I am now. It was a lot of work, a lot of hard work and determination. And I mean, once I got into tech, I fell in love with it. I saw the power of it. I saw how creative it was and how the people who create technology really determine how the society is like the shape of the society is really in the in the hands of the people who create it and right. um, i fell in love with it and so that's where i originally got got my start <laughs> you know as you were sharing about technology one thing that it's taken probably years for me to fathom but as you were talking about technology and being very non-tech and you said you know you went to school for computer science thinking you're gonna learn how to use was it microsoft word or microsoft excel yeah. it's i think it's that misconception not knowing what you're getting into but the technology part i think is in part about logic and you know if you have superior logic you know you, you, you can do very well with technology and basically, you know, understand how to leverage technology from a logic standpoint. And in fact, when you were talking about, you know, writing command prompts, I was thinking MS-DOS days, if anybody That's still remembers yep. <laughs> um, Like writing command prompts, I actually used to get excited in computer class back in high school, like actually writing those command prompts, which like nowadays it's a lot easier. But back then, even like taking it way, way, way back, now I'm actually rationalizing the logical aspect behind it, like writing those command lines, actually. So it's interesting when you were saying that you took interest towards technology. I think it was from a logic standpoint, also seeing the value and the solutions, you know, uh, it would create. So kind of fast forward after that, you know, taking interest uh, in into this. And, and I definitely want to talk about um, the tech speak for entrepreneurs, but you know, how did that come about also? Yeah. So once I got started in tech, I finished my computer science degree, obviously, and I really got into it because I was able to finish in three years instead of four. I'm like, I really got passionate about it. And uh, during uh, college, I decided that I wanted to work in uh, to get some experience in tech and um, went and uh, applied for a bunch of internships. And by happenstance, I uh, got to experience working at a company called Web Girls, which was a tech startup in the early 90s, uh, had a mission to get more women online. It, this, is, this is hard to believe that in the early 90s, <laughs> nobody knew yeah. anything about the web. Um, and so I joined them while I was still in school and getting experience. And I've, I never actually thought entrepreneurship was for me. I never grew up thinking entrepreneurship was something that was attainable to regular people like me. I always thought it was for everybody else who was way smarter than me. And then I saw uh, the environment of an early stage tech startup back in the dot-com boom. I was just like, that was the hook, you know, that's where I got the entrepreneurship bug. Right. I loved this, this small working environment. Um, I loved the amount of things that you could learn. I loved the exposure to the different types of um, skills that you can get to. It's like, I literally got to do both programming and management and uh, database administration. And I was one of the two other tech people who uh, were working there. And they just happened to 
have left the company. And by the time I was finishing graduating school, I was literally running the tech at WebGirls uh, because you are, you know, in a small company, you get to do everything and you learn everything. And you, yeah. if you want the responsibility and you can take it on, um, you have a lot of opportunity for growth. So um, it was really exciting to be able to run everything at WebGirls, but I still had those aspirations of working for big companies. And in my mind, that was still when I have the definition of what it would be like to have made it. So I took the jump and worked for a big company, mm-hmm. a big financial company, and I <laughs> immediately did not like it uh, because the culture shock of coming from a startup to working at a big company where coming from doing everything to then becoming a small fish in a big pond was uh, very disheartening. I did not um, enjoy that at all. And so I lasted there about 11 months, as I say, because <laughs> I, right. I wanted to leave the next day and um, jumped at the first opportunity when uh, WebGirls offered me to become a CTO. Yeah. Um, so I jumped back into entrepreneurship and through the company, you know, I was able to build the teams. I was able to um, learn how to manage the, the projects and, and grow a, a product. We did a lot of um, so many different projects that were innovative in, the, in that early space when you right. didn't have a lot of access to tools that we have to now I had to literally manually build everything from scratch. So that was really exciting. And through that, I actually started uh, teaching and training and going to different conferences and started working with a lot of entrepreneurs. And um, after every event that I did, I had a huddle of entrepreneurs around me sharing their horror stories with me and (laughs) how much money they were losing to tech mistakes and working with these horrible developers. And I just couldn't understand how... Uh, developers, and I'm talking about like $60,000, $80,000, even $100,000 of seed round of money that they raised simply right. because they didn't know what they were doing. And um, after blaming developers for uh, the mistakes, and I couldn't understand how they could even stay in business, I actually realized that the problem is not necessarily with developer. Yes, there are bad developers, but oftentimes the problem is with the entrepreneur because they yeah. don't know the right questions to ask. They don't know the process. They don't know how to communicate with the developers. And so they can't spot the red flags soon enough when they're coming. Right. And so what I decided to do is what ultimately led to the creation of TechSpeak is uh, package up the process that I use personally with my developers and teach it to non-technical entrepreneurs so that they can get their power back so that they can learn the process and then confidently be able to communicate what it is that they need, communicate the requirements, set the uh, their startups for success, basically. Yeah. Well, you know, as you were sharing um, some of these things, I, I wanted to, to go back to kind of the, the 90s era, era, because I think there's, from a technology standpoint, there's been this huge shift because technology has evolved, has become more accessible. And I think more and more entrepreneurs specifically have taken significant interest into technology. And what I'm speaking to is I remember, you know, mid 90s, learning how to code PHP, you know, like, 
nowadays is you could slap that shit together really quick. You know, back in the days, like you actually had to comprise the logic behind it. Like you hadn't really matured. Right. Mm -hmm. But and the reason I'm mentioning this in part is because uh, going back to those days, I think it has taught us a lesson. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are learning this is, is that it's good when technology is new because it's not saturated yet. So it's, but when it becomes more saturated, it also matures as well. Right. And I'm thinking, you know, also automotive space like Tesla, you know, the Tesla models that were built, what, five, 10 years ago, nothing like what they're today. Right. So, but as you were talking about also like how a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with it. Yeah. I, I think there's a huge struggle from a technology standpoint. And now more than ever, I think if you're in entrepreneurship, you need to understand technology. Technology is your friend. And if it's not your friend, you're probably going to struggle in your business because let's face it, any business, any industry, any vertical that you're in is using some kind of technology, whether it's a smartphone or a Microsoft Office or a website with, you know, WordPress or, you know, some other proprietary. There's always a technology component around that. And the other thing that I really, really admire that you mentioned, this really goes to uh, the, fam the rise of fanpreneurs, which I'm very, very excited about. Like this being in the 90s, you didn't have many fanpreneurs. You know, like it just wasn't, I feel like entrepreneurship for a long time was predominantly a male driven arena. You know, it yeah, was just, I think, I think, yeah, absolutely. I think you're definitely right. I also think that specifically in technology, um, very few women are by default te uh, technical, right? Um, mm -hmm. we, we have we definitely have a big problem with that in the, in the US and even around the world uh, of getting more women into coding and being more technical. And so specifically in the tech space, there were fewer women entrepreneurs because of that. And I think one of, I think one of the things that nowadays technology allows is for you to be completely non-technical. And as long as you understand the tools, because they're so much easier than before, you can really put the, together a team around you that can help you get there faster. Um, and COVID accelerated the adoption of technology by at least five years, I think. And now yeah. in the industry, no matter what industry you're in, even if you're a personal trainer, right? You have to figure out a way of earning a living online. And every single field, every single industry nowadays will need a, some kind of optimized solution to do the work that they're doing. And there's a right. lot of opportunity now for a lot of non-technical people who are, I think every, every single day, each one of us sees a problem in their workspace or in their daily life that I don't have access to, you don't have access to, but only they have access to. And that specific expertise could be leveraged and automated. The problems that you see, those could be automated with some kind of tech solution. So Yes, you can leverage technology, but you can also create a lot of revenue, new revenue streams for your business if you can pay attention to where there are gaps and how technology can actually be used to create software solutions that solve those pain points directly for customers. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> as you were, uh, as you were ma- mentioning automating, got me thinking that, you know what, uh, one day, and this will be long after I'm dead, probably is uh, <laughs> probably replaced by a robot or something, you know, that's going to be automating a bunch of shit. And the reality of things is you're right. You know, uh, I think tech has become more accessible. I think it's essential uh, for, and COVID definitely did do that. <laughs> In fact, when you were talking about personal trainers, I think this was like four, maybe five years ago. And when I started seeing apps pop up of like personal trainer type, like in-home workouts, like, like you could literally, like someone is teaching you through your phone by watching videos, how to get into shape by pre, you know, a set of pre-recorded videos and that goes to solving that problem. So, you know, if you want to get in, in better shape, you don't necessarily need to go to the gym. In fact, you don't even need, you know, gym equipment. And that's what COVID has proven because I even remember Planet Fitness and I'm a member of that. Like they started popping up with all these live streams during COVID. We're telling people how to work out in home. And suddenly it changed the perception of so many people that were like, you know what? If I'm one of those people that does not like to be in the gym and because, you know, someone's creeping up on you or something, guess what? I can, you know, be at home doing an in-home workout and all I need is a chair and, you know, the willpower, basically. Um, I want to shift the convo over to your masterclass. So you have a masterclass called TechSpeak for Entrepreneurs. Tell us a little bit more about that. So TechSpeak for Entrepreneurs is where I teach the process that I use with uh, for managing development teams and projects. And it's designed specifically for, to, for non-technical entrepreneurs. Uh, so um, it's based on lean and agile methodologies and it's designed to um, help entrepreneurs systematically build an app product or manage the development of an app product without use, spending a lot of time and money and energy building products that people don't want. So I don't know if you're familiar with the lean startup methodology. No. Um, so there's a great book that was written by Eric Reese, and uh, this concept of the lean startup was popularized by to- Toyota, actually. Um, and the idea is um, is that most things that people build are actually a waste because no one ends up using them. So it's uh, it, it, taking the approach of um, building products in small iterations and getting feedback from customers early and often. So in fact, you don't even touch a line of code. Uh, in my 10-step ten, ten process, writing code is step number eight. So that means there are seven steps that you have to do in right. preparation for that. The first step of it is validating the idea. And the, the reason why you need to validate the idea is because we all think our ideas are amazing and they're perfect. <laughs> and the more we think of them in our heads, the more perfect they become. But the issue is, is that you are not the customer of your idea. You need to go out and talk to customers, get insightful feedback so that you go from a good idea to a painkiller idea, an idea that solves a direct pain point. And the reason why painkiller ideas are so important is because uh, you can get paid for them a lot easier. If you think right. about, you know, to solve your problem, you will be willing to pay for the product or for the solution. And so that that part of the problem, uh, that, that specific aspect of product development, I think is super important for a lot of founders, whether you're technical or not. Right. Uh, so you don't write a line of code until you know that your idea has legs 
Um, and then you go from there. Uh, so it's very yeah. systematically designed to help you, what I call learn early, learn often, and learn cheap. <laughs> you know, as you were speaking about technology, um, so I wanted to bring up the fact that me and you met on Clubhouse. <laughs> so yes. this is actually the, the first time that we're interacting. But speaking of technology and solving problems, right, uh, that is what technology does. But then you mentioned something really important that I wanted to mention that entrepreneurs need to realize is just that, like you said, most things in that book, most things that entrepreneurs build is a waste. And that's because they don't pay attention to the market demand and market interest. They just say, I have a great idea, so I'm going to build it. You know, it's like, well, just because you build it, they won't come. That's exactly. you know, the analogy behind it. So you actually have to reverse engineer that, find out what is it that the market needs. You said painkiller problems. And in fact, I'm a huge fan of this because for me, and it literally took me a long time to understand this. The bigger the problem is, the more expensive it's going to be. That means that if someone has a big problem and you can solve that problem, they already know they have a problem and they're prepared to pay someone to fix that problem. Yeah. It's just a matter of like being there and questioning and asking the right questions to understand the nuances of the problem and then figure out how do you fix that problem? How are you going to go about it? Do you have some experience doing, doing that? So that's a really, really important thing. I think, especially with new entrepreneurs, let's face it. I mean, people think that I'm going to pop up on Instagram and I'm going to be an overnight success, right? I'm going to post up some images with fake Lambos and suddenly I'm a successful entrepreneur. That's bullshit. That's far from reality. In fact, many entrepreneurs, probably somewhere in the vicinity of 99% will fail and some won't even ever make it. So the resilience aspect of this is huge. It's not just coming up with the idea, understanding if the market wants it, or more importantly, needs it. How is it going to solve a void in their life? And I heard actually this on, on Clubhouse that uh, it, was, it was one of the major influencers that mentioned this is there's no B2B, there's no B2C, it's B2P, it's business to people. Business to people, absolutely. Because so businesses are also run by, by people. So if you, exactly. you understand that, the, the easier time you'll have in building products that our customers actually want to use and need to use. Absolutely. So a couple other things I wanted to chat with you about, because obviously, you know, you've been in the space for a long time and you've seen a lot of uh, different things. I want to talk about some of the other more specific problems, you know, that entrepreneurs fail, because let's face it, not everyone is as tech savvy as you and me, right? Because we've been, you know, tech geeks for nearly two decades, right? But the ones that are non-tech, yeah, obviously you have the masterclass, Tech Speak for Entrepreneurs, where they can learn, you know, how to utilize technology for their business, you know, and solve problems. But let's dive into that, you know, deeper and deeper. So let's talk more specifically, since we talked about product, is how to get a product that, um, you know, that, that the market needs. So how... Can entrepreneurs using technology, leveraging technology, understand in building a product that the market actually needs? What are some advice and tips that, you know, you've given to other entrepreneurs? So the first thing to do is identify an idea, right? So you have to, you have to figure out what idea you want to work on. What is your specific expertise and what's specific uniquely to you? So for example, 
I'm going to use this uh, this uh, past student example because he's non-technical, working in a non-technical field. So he was a real estate guy, just a regular real estate guy for 20 years. And he went to work every day and he saw this one problem that was so annoying and involved so much time and energy and and uh, inefficiency for other uh, realtors just like him. So he, what he he saw this problem over and over and over and again, and it was just uh, uh, created or used up a lot of time or a lot of energy for the for the other people. And instead of doing nothing about it, which is what most people do, uh, and looking the other way, he decided to solve this problem. So he created a little prototype, a visualization of how this problem could be automated and solved with technology. He created the prototype, took this prototype to a real estate agency, showed them the solution, and they loved it so much that they even prepaid him to actually build it. And they, he came to TechSpeak to learn how to actually build it. But that's an example mm. of a, of a day-to-day thing that each one of us go through. So the first step in pre- building a product that someone wants is really looking around you and spotting the issues, the, ir- the irritating things that everyone has issues with, uh, the inefficient things that people are doing all the time that could be automated with technology. Right. So that's the first step. You know, I, I want to expand that a little bit more. Um, and I want to take Clubhouse, for example, since that's where we met, right? So Clubhouse is actually, I mean, it does solve a problem, obviously, because there's a huge increase in demand. And I think it's something that I read online said that they're, they've surpassed over 100,000 users in about only six months into it, I think, and still- Yeah, no, they're them. at a million users now. They're in a million now? Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. That's insane. Okay. Well, I must've been reading something that's outdated in that case. Um, but I wanted to actually extrapolate that, right? Because you mentioned idea and also bringing that idea, you know, into a product and then, but making sure that the market has a need for it. So let's take clubhouse, right? It's an audio drop-in chat social network. And when I first heard about it, I was like, is this anchor.fm? Cause I remember right. getting on anchor.fm and which, by the way, Gary V passed on investing, I believe, the first time around. So now I'm thinking, OK, you know what? Clubhouse is actually a very, very basic concept when you think about but it. What they did, what they did is they combined two trends. So the first trend that they combined is this uh, uh, is podcasting. Right. Everybody mm-hmm. is now into podcasting in the the number of podcasts that are created on a daily basis are astronomical and people love to listen to that type of medium. And yep. so uh, that trend has been on the rise over the ne- next few, uh, the last few years. And the, they took the concept of social networking, which is already a successful proven concept, and they combined it with a trend of podcasting. And I think that they really hit on a nail here because the, you know, once you experience um, being on a social network and, and also, you know, while you're cooking, you can participate in those conversations. There's not like, that's a game changer, right? So yeah. I loved podcasts because uh, as opposed to, for example, YouTube, 
in order to do YouTube, I had to watch it. I had to figure out where to put my computer while I'm doing other things. And I couldn't do it while I'm walking, for example, or exercising. And um, while I was doing all those things, I would always listen to podcasts because I could just put them in my ears, uh, have my phone on me, right. around me or whatever. And I can just be doing all of my things and listening. And uh, now all of a sudden I can do the same thing, but also participating and listening in on the live conversations of that are happening uh, generally on a social network. And so right. that is what I think is so special about it is that they really hit on a trend. They took an existing successful concept of social networking and that they combine them both. That's um, so the reason I actually brought this up is you're absolutely right. And it really has to do with on-demand audio because as we know, the two most popular uh, mediums out there is audio and video. In fact, some people will even go as far as saying that over 80% of internet traffic is driven by video now, where YouTube being the largest search engine, right, and kind of leading the forefront of that. And I agree with that. But a secondary to that is audio, because like you said, if you're cooking, you know, yeah, maybe your attention span is like, hopefully on what you're cooking, you don't burn your food. But at the same time, you're actually paying attention from the other year of what or maybe have your ear AirPods in, you know, and or headphones, and you're listening, and paying attention, and being able to participate at the same time. So it actually goes back to it, it's actually a basic concept, but there's logic behind it and paired with trendiness. Simply because, like you said, and I've heard some people even say that, you know, could Clubhouse potentially be the podcasting killer? Because mini casting is like the evolution of podcasting, right? Like podcast, podcasting is, is podcasting, but I think most podcasts are getting longer, like longer YouTube video or longer video in an essence. Right. Now, Clubhouse is mini casting. You know, you could jump in a room and you could jam with several people, right? So it'd be curious, you know, to see, you said a million users, that's insane growth in six months. That's insane. And they're if, still in beta. Exactly. And they're still in beta. Um, not to mention is like half of Hollywood is on, on Clubhouse, you know, and all the major influencers with such faces. I mean, they carry massive followings, you know, but I think what was smart, you know, and I don't know if this necessarily, I want to get your thoughts on this, but, you know, on your profile on Clubhouse, you have the ability to add your Twitter account. And you have the ability to add your Instagram account, hence why and how we got connected actually is via Instagram. But could that be competitive? You know, could that be, what's your thoughts on that? So I think that they are, so they're truly following the lean startup methodology. What they're doing is proving out a concept right now. They're still in beta and they cannot mm. build. So what, what a bad entrepreneur would do is, or I, wish, I should say a traditional entrepreneur would do is they would build every single feature and functionality of the social network before right. they launch. Instead, what they did is they launched their minimal viable product. The most core, right? The core and the essence of the product is right. the social network with the, uh, the community of like the, the, the conversations, right? And the audio. That's what they have out now. And they're testing that. Everything else is secondary. They're even willing to let their users use third-party social networks to connect further. Because right now, their most important thing that they have to prove out is the concept of 
getting the audio right, getting the, the conversations and the community, community right, right? This is a, a completely yep. new medium. And so instead of focusing and, and actually waiting until they got all of that functionality built into the app, they decided, you know what, we're just going to right now outsource that. We're going to use third-party tools to be able to do that. And yeah. that's exactly what every single entrepreneur should be doing when building products. You figure out what your MVP is. When you're doing validation, you'll know exactly what are the core principles that will make everyone use your app. And that's what you put in your MVP. And everything else is secondary. Figure out a different way of bringing it in. It doesn't need to be in the app because that's not the focus right now. Your core goal is to make your core of the product work really, really well. And then you can you continue to build and release new features. I don't know if you noticed this. Every time I go in the app, I notice some new little thing, some new little change. Right. Uh, when I joined a week ago, a week and a half ago, I actually am a brand new user to Clubhouse. Uh, there was no way for anyone to actually search for rooms. You, somebody else, so the community yeah. members created a third party resource on a website somewhere to be able to search rooms. And then uh, like literally a few days later, I was, I saw a directory of uh, clubhouse rooms that you could, that yeah. were searchable inside the app. And so there in an iterative fashion uh, have this release early and often functionality and they just introducing features all the time. So the goal is to yeah. launch the MVP, test it out and then continuously release um, as you go. And if you need to, outsource everything else you know <clears throat> we got a few more minutes but i want to touch upon what what you just mentioned because i think that is so important when you said your mvp and, and when you're building your product is that it's imperfect you know but you don't need to worry about perfect because if you do you'll never launch it's like failure to launch basically <laughs> right that, that's literally what it is and i think that that's what a lot of entrepreneurs and not just with products but i think it's even with services i mean products are so hot and so popular now especially in the technology space you know apps because let's face it we live in an on-demand world and everybody's sleeping with their smartphones so like that's what we gravitate towards right but it even goes back to entrepreneurship is that you don't have to have it perfect because i've even heard some people say no you got to plan it all out you got to get all your funding you got to do all this <laughs> like you're three years in and it's like, when are we going to launch? Like, well, are we issue, ever going to launch? Yeah, and, and the biggest, the biggest issue with all of this is just uh, when you're waiting too long, uh, is that you can actually, let's say with the clubhouse right now, they learn, they launched their MVP and they have a product roadmap. Don't get me wrong. Right. They have a bunch of features that they right. want to build. But what they're doing right now by having their MVP in the market, getting being used by actual customers, they might be learning that there's something else that they need to build before the, all of the plant features that they thought they need to build. Does that make sense? And so yes. having this approach by launching early with an imperfect product, you can actually get real-time feedback of what your customers' needs are and if there is something else that you need to focus on first before building the rest of your roadmap. And so this lean and agile approach to building products is going to allow you to learn all of that on the fly and adjust to create a product that really people will want to use. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hit the nail on the head with that one. And um, 
as we're veering towards the end, you know, I do, I do want you to talk a little bit about your free four day challenge uh, that you have going on. I think it's on, is it starting January 25th of this year? Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about that and why should people entertain it? So I, I think in 2021, every single business should consider or at least evaluate whether or not there's an opportunity for them to build and leverage a software product. So not just leverage technology, because all of us are doing that, but is there a way that you can actually build something to create new revenue streams in your business? And if you're starting brand new, is there a way for you to get into tech, right? Because in the next few years, you're going to, there's going to be tech everywhere and you can actually create the solution instead of using the technology, you can actually be the creator. And so uh, that's kind of what my, like my goal in 2021 is to get as many people to realize of all the different opportunities that exist in software and that it's accessible to everybody. You don't have to be a super technical person to run a tech startup. If you learn how to be tech literate and if you learn the process that's required to build the, the web and mobile apps, you don't need to be technical at all, right? Those are the yeah. only two things that are required to run a tech startup. And so the challenge is all around helping people. Like once you realize, okay, now I I think I may want to go into tech, but I don't know what my idea should be. And this challenge is all focused on how to get you to um, think about what your idea should be, how to evaluate the market opportunity. And I'm going to be really prompting you. And you, if you do your homework by the end of the challenge, four days, you should have an idea of where you should focus on. Awesome. Well, that sounds like a lot of non-technical entrepreneurs, which there's a lot that listen and watch that, you know, have a great idea or maybe they're started in the business and, you know, they can't quite fathom and wrangle around the whole technology world. So it sounds like this will be a perfect challenge, you know, for them to really get their feet wet in understanding, you know, how technology can help them. But um, before we wrap things up, you know, I, I, please throw out some handles, socials, websites how can people find you if they want to connect with you and especially for those non-tacky folks you know for the challenge too so um how can they find you out there so i am digital woman online digital woman singular uh on all social platforms uh so i'm very easy to find i'm everywhere uh if you guys want to participate in the challenge it's techspeak.co forward slash challenge um, and uh, if you go to techspeakforentrepreneurs.com, you'll find uh, all of the information there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Nelly, I want to thank you so much. I mean, you brought a wealth of knowledge when it comes to technology. And I know there's a lot of people out there that are struggling with this. Honestly, there's even a lot of entrepreneurs that are like, you know, unwilling to ask for help. Because <laughs> let's face it, in entrepreneurship, male or female, there's a level of egocentricity. I hate to admit that, but there is. And that can be a good thing. And that can be a bad thing. It's a good thing because you're so hyper focused on what you're doing. And I see value in that. It's bad because you need to know when to ask for help because you don't have it all figured out. (laughs) So I want to thank you so much for hopping on the uh, show. It was great chatting with you. Thank you so much for all the value that you shared. It was my pleasure. Dog status, I'm a big dog, yeah. I pull up on the block in a big car, yeah.